Would you pray with me? God, we have come this morning to sing praises for the works that you have done in our lives. We've come to give thanks. We've come to hear from you. We've come to have your words speak truth into and over our lives that transforms us. And so, God, now we ask for hearts that are open to hear your word, for ears that are open to hear what you have to say. And, God, we ask that as you speak, we would hear you and make much of you and little of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First of all, welcome kids to our family service today. I see you guys sprinkled in and out, so we are so glad that you have chosen to join us with your folks today and glad that you feel like this is a place where you belong as well. Have you ever paused long enough to look around yourself to maybe go out at night and look up into the stars or up into the skies, get out of Minneapolis and see the stars? This is one of the things and maybe the only thing I really miss about living in the country. If you don't know, before we moved to Minneapolis, we lived in the country. My driveway was a quarter mile long. I'm really glad I don't have to shovel that right now. And uh, we had cows on both sides. The land was rented. They weren't ours. But, and I, country living, some people love it. Some people don't. I'm in the don't category. But every Sunday night after youth group, I would go home. And I would stop as I walked out of the garage and up to our house. And I would just stare into the sky. And if I had paid attention in science class in high school, I would have been able to label every one of those constellations. But the grandeur of the stars just took my breath away. There's no way to count them. I would like make little shapes with my hands and just try to count like what's in that circle. Too many to count. Too numerous. And yet God, in his infinite power, placed each one exactly where he wanted it. For a purpose and a reason. Have you ever thought about creation? I mean, some of the animals God created, I, I, I often, what was the purpose, God? One of the ones that gets me the most is the jellyfish. Have you ever thought about the jellyfish? I mean, we only think about them when we go in the ocean, we don't want to get stung, right? It's brainless, boneless, bloodless. What does it have? There's nothing in there. It has no stomach. Yet it can eat fish, crab, shrimp in a matter of seconds because if it didn't eat it and digest it and spit it back out that fast, the weight of those things would pull it under and it would die. The jellyfish. And God created it for a purpose. Now, God is God and I am not, and so I can't tell you what the purpose is, but God knows why he created the jellyfish. What about the intricacies of our body? The human eye? 
We talk about our retina a whole lot. I don't know that we really have any idea what our retina is. But we know that without it, we couldn't see. And the retina, so this is a fact that I don't fully understand, but I just want you to hear the difference. The best human film, the best film we've ever developed as humans, processes a thousand to one photons of light intensity. Okay, so I don't, that's like Chinese to me. I don't understand what that, that sentence says. But this is the comparison that matters. Your retina processes 10 billion to one photons. Now I know enough to know that 10 billion is a heck of a lot more than 1,000. And your retina is the thickness of saran wrap. And without it, we wouldn't see color, we wouldn't see shape, we wouldn't see the intensity of the things around us. Have we ever paused to think about the vastness of God's creation? What if we made it a little more personal? What if there was a giant mirror right here? And I ask you to line up and come forward and look in the mirror and tell us what you see. What would you say? Each morning when you wake up and you walk into the bathroom, you look in the mirror and the light just turned on and you're a little blinky and squinty still and trying to figure out, and you see yourself in the mirror, what do you think? What do you see? How would you describe it? What do others see when they see you? How would they describe it? I think we get really bogged down thinking about what everybody else sees when they see us. And maybe when we look in the mirror, we don't really see what we want to see. We don't see what we used to see. I used to have hair. But when God looks in that mirror, he says, masterpiece. When God looks at you, he looks you in the eye and he says, masterpiece. And I get it. I'm the youth guy, right? You don't have to believe what I say. Let's look at Paul's words. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. My favorite children's book is a book by Max Licato called You Are Special. And if you're not familiar with the book, it's about these little wooden people called Wemmicks who live in a village. And the Wemmicks go around with stickers. And if you're a good Wemmick, or you do something good, or you run really fast, or you jump really high, or your paint looks shiny, they put yellow star, gold star stickers on your body. And so the good Wemmicks walk around all the time covered in gold stars. But if you step in a puddle, or you don't run really fast, or your paint's beginning to chip, or you make a mistake, they give you a gray dot. And so Wemmicks who don't 
look like everybody else or who don't feel like they're a masterpiece walk around covered in gray dots all the time. I think some of us go through life feeling like we're covered in gray dots because we don't feel like we're a masterpiece. I think there's three questions that each and every one of us have to answer. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer to any one of these three questions. But everybody has to answer these three questions for themselves. And how you answer the first question will greatly determine how you answer the second question. And how you answer the second question will have incredible influence on how you answer the third. The first is, who is God? Who do you say God is? Who am I? And what's my purpose? And if you've spent any time with me at all, you know these three questions define almost everything I try to teach at all times. Who do you say God is? Who do you say you are? And what's your purpose? You see, because who we say God is determines how we see ourselves. You are God's masterpiece. Who God is matters in that equation. Let me prove it to you. I could write Jason's Fifth Symphony. Hey, that's not even the punchline yet. Wow. It would be really short. It would not be very musical. It would not be very good. And you would not listen to it and be like, wow, that's a masterpiece. It probably would not even rise to the level of chopsticks. Because I have zero musical talent. You're going to figure out through this sermon, I have zero artistic ability, really. You name the art, I'm not good at it. But when I say Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, for some of you, the music begins to play in your head. You can hear the song, and you realize that is a masterpiece. Because the one who created it, the one who wrote it, the one who put it together, put it together in exactly the right form with exactly the right musical patterns and notes and all the other terms that I don't explain to make it beautiful. You are God's masterpiece. Who you say God is matters Now, I hope that's a question you spend the rest of your life wrestling with and journeying with, and I look forward to getting to journey with you as you wrestle with that question. But I think the God we worship is two things today, because I know you don't want to be here forever. He's a God who knows you. If you look at the beginning of Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts. Even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say. Even before I say it, Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. 
If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. The God we worship is the God who knows you. He knows everything about you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He walks with us everywhere we go. He's the God who watches over us. He's the God who knows the things that we don't want anybody else to know. You know that thing that you're like, oh, if somebody knew this, no one would talk to me again? God knows. And yet, he's never left you alone. And he never will. He's a God who knows intimately, not a God who knows from the distance, but a God who knows who came and lived and walked and suffered and was tempted in the same ways we are, who celebrated and experienced joy, who experienced loss and heartbreak in Jesus as he came and walked. He's the God who knows us intimately. And he's the God who loves us just the same. He's not only the God who knows, he's the God who loves. Ephesians is by far my favorite book of the Bible. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, just a few verses ahead of what we read earlier. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. The God who knows everything about you, knows your good and your bad, knows your past, your highs and your lows, is the God who says, I chose you to be my kid. I went and adopted you. I welcomed you in. You are my sons and my daughters co-heirs with Christ. And I loved you so much, I sent my son to die on a cross for you. So that when you look in that mirror in the morning, what you should see is pure, spotless masterpiece. Not because 
of what you've done, but because of what I've done. And the most amazing part of this whole passage to me is that little verse that says, this is what he wanted to do. The God who created everything we see, the stars in the sky, the weird little jellyfish, our retinas, says, I wanted to adopt you. I chose to. I didn't have to. I didn't need to. I wanted to. I wanted to welcome you in because that's what gives me joy. That's what gives me excitement. That's what makes me happy is to welcome you in. To make sure you know you're my masterpiece. So who God is matters. It matters because God calls you a masterpiece, his masterpiece. If you read the end of Psalm 139, it talks about God knitting us together, the passage we read at the beginning. I don't know much about knitting either. I just haven't ever taken it up or crocheting. But my wife, however, loves it. And I know that many of you do, so bear with this analogy because I'm probably going to mess it up. But she has made a lot of scarves and hats, and I tease her about it all the time because she just sits and crochets. But then she started making blankets, and I stopped teasing. Because when it's negative 30 in the morning and I take that blanket and I pull it over me, those are really, really warm blankets. But every one of those blankets is unique. It starts with an idea. And then she picks the yarn. And then she picks the right size hook to weave the yarn together and to make this incredibly unique, one-of-a-kind blanket. Because she can use the same pattern time after time after time, but the yarn color changes, or the yarn thickness changes, or the texture changes, or the size of the needle she uses changes, or the way the end of the first ball of yarn and the way the beginning of the second ball of yarn joined together is different, or it's in a different place. Each one of those blankets is unique. The truth about each one of us is from the minute the first chemical reaction began to take place in our mom's bodies, God was at work. God was at work knitting together and weaving together your DNA, making decisions about your hair and eye color personality, metabolic rate, adult height, athletic and artistic ability, and so much more. God was making you in His image. The God who doesn't make mistakes. The God who does everything with precision and exactness was weaving you together, was weaving me together, exactly the way He wanted us to be. He placed every star in exactly the right spot that he wanted it. And as he, defi- as he formed and created and knit us together, he gave us a unique shape. Now, shape is an acronym that we're going to unpack for the next five weeks. But I want to introduce it to you now. Shape, 
S for your spiritual gifts. H for your heart. A for your abilities. P for your personality. And E for your experience. As God was weaving and knitting us together, he was creating us with a unique shape. Each one of us different gifts or if the same gift, different personalities, or if the same gift and the same personality, different experiences in life. And God has begun to form and to continue to form because he's not the God who created us and just let us be. He's the God who created us and sustains us. He's the God who continues to walk with us. And it's in that that we realize we were created on purpose for a purpose. We were created on purpose for a purpose. You see, because Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. That tells us who God is. Or tells us it matters who God is. It tells us who we are. We're a masterpiece created by that God. Created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, if you've been around for, a, for the last few weeks, we have taken faith and made it into a really simple mathematical equation that is helpful for you to remember. And I don't know how I feel about turning faith into math, but we'll get to that later. But every week, Zach gives you guys the formula. And he says it's this plus this equals this, right? You know where I'm at? And I sit in my seat and I'm like, you should see if they're paying attention. So this is your test. We'll see if you pass, if you've been listening to Zach or not. And he's not here, and this one isn't videoed, so you'll never, he'll never know if you got it right or not. It's going to be great, okay? So it is... Nice. Give yourself a little hand there. Good job. You all remembered. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what faith is. But that doesn't mean we get to sit on our couch for the rest of our lives and just eat potato chips and wait on him to come back. We've got something to do. You were created as a masterpiece with a purpose. Not to go do something to earn something, not to go do something to make God love you more, not to go do something so you can get into heaven or you can get jewels in your crown or any of that. You were created on purpose for a purpose to bring God glory. To help bring others in. To live lives of thanks and appreciation and gratitude for what God has done for you. And I think our biggest purpose, Jesus tells his disciples right before he leaves, is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. At Calvary, we say we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Now, how you live out that purpose is different than how I live it out. And how you think you might live it out one day, kids, is going to be different than how you actually end up living it out. I'm proof of that. 
because I'm the guy who normally sits right over there on the bench and right before I come up to like speak, I just want to go to the bathroom and like lose it. This is the most terrifying thing I do all week. But I remember the day that God said, this is the way you're going to live out that purpose. It was a Sunday in January in 1997, and I'm sitting in this church. It was Corey's parents' church. We'd been dating for a while, so that's where I went, right? Go where the cute girl is. That's how church works in college. And so there I am, and they have this van ministry where they're bringing in kids from the trailer parks, kids who wouldn't come to church, kids whose parents don't come to church, and they're coming. Corey's grandpa headed up this ministry. He went out on Saturday with another guy. They would knock on doors and talk to these parents and say, hey, could we bring your kid to church tomorrow with us? And they'd form relationships with these people. And then on this Sunday morning, the senior pastor stood up and he said, is there anybody here who could go babysit these kids so we could have church today? And if you think I lack composure at 40, you should have seen me at 18. I think my face turned eight shades of purple. How dare we bring kids to church to babysit them? And I walked out of church that day and I talked to Corey and I don't know what she was really thinking. And I said, hey, you know what? We go to chapel, well, we're supposed to go three times a week. We probably go once a week. We go to church on Sunday night. I think we could lead children's church. And we might not do great at it, but I bet we can do more than babysit. And it was in that place that I realized God had given me a gift to teach. God had given me a heart and a passion for kids. Probably because they're more fun than adults. Sorry. It's true, kids. You are. Got to give me some abilities. I don't know. I knew that I didn't like, when I grew up in children's church, I didn't like doing crafts all the time. So I swore that I would never do arts and crafts in my children's ministry experience. So we played games, and they seemed to like it. My personality, I was extroverted, so I didn't mind being in the middle of a bunch of kids. And my experience was I had this incredible opportunity to grow up in this church that I totally took for granted. It was like 200 people when I was born and like 2,500 when I graduated high school. And I was under one of the best children's ministry directors I think I've ever known. And so we began to pattern this children's church off of those things. 22 years later, I'm still loving it. What's your purpose? What's your shape? What are the spiritual gifts God's given to you? What's the passion he's put inside your heart that when you get talking about you just can't stop talking and you realize, oh, uh, sorry, you struck a passion. Got a little excited there for a minute. What abilities do you have that God might want to use? How does all that tie to your personality? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert? There's so many options now. 
And what experiences has God put in your life, good and bad, that he wants to use to develop your purpose and your shape? Sometimes those bad ones are the ones that really form us and create us and drive us forward. What's your shape? We want to help you define and see what that is in the coming weeks. No one has the same shape you do. You are a unique masterpiece. But if you don't understand who God is, you'll never see yourself as a masterpiece. And you'll never understand the shape God has for you. Dream with me for a minute. What if everyone right here in Calvary figured out who God was? Or at least began the journey of figuring out who God is? What if each and every one of us began to believe that we're a masterpiece? Not in a way that walked around and said, hey, I'm a masterpiece. But in a way that said, I have been designed by a creator who loves me on purpose, and I have a purpose. And what if we began in our own individual lives and in our own corporate community to actually live out that purpose the way we are designed to? How would that impact those people who live right around this building? How would that change their life? How would that change who they see God as? What about the people who live right around your property and right around my property? What if we began to actually live this purpose out seven days a week, not just on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, not just on Wednesday nights at 6.30 for seven weeks out of the year or on Wednesdays at noon for seven weeks, but we began to live it 24-7 at work, at home, at school, what if we believe that in doing that, God will transform lives and transform communities and transform us? What would Robbinsdale Community Schools look like if those of us who God has called with passion to love kids began to figure out ways to live on purpose, with a purpose, for the sake of those kids who go to school right around us. We could transform the world. Not because of who we are, because of who he is. Some of you here, though, I get it, it's a big space you're like, yeah, Jason, that sounds great, but I'm not a masterpiece. I want to close. That means we're almost done. With the end of my favorite kid's book. Punicello is the main character. And I want you to hear what the creator says about Punicello. Punicello walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill, and he stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. 
He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench, a hammer as long as his arm. Punicello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punicello. The voice was deep and strong. Punicello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punicello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name, said the little wimmick. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other wimmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're wimmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punicello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punicello laughed. Me, special. Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint's peeling. Why do I matter? Eli looked at Punicello, put his hand on his small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter. Punicello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punicello. I know, she told me. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly because she's decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punicello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the wimmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punicello didn't stop. But in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. You and I are God's masterpiece, designed on purpose for a purpose. We can't forget that. Will you pray with me?